Welcome back to Pick Up The Pace Podcast. You're with your man Magic and Araru. Today's guest was born in Auckland. She was a former New Zealand Touch, Tag Football and Taekwondo representative and was the youngest to ever be selected for the Black Fern Sevens team when she made her debut as an 18-year-old in 2012. She was a member of the New Zealand Sevens team that won the 2013 and 2018 Rugby World Cup. She descends from the Ngāpuhi tribe and is also of Chinese and European descent. In 2013, she won the Junior Māori Sportswoman of the Year Award and in 2014, she was a finalist for the same award. In 2015 and 2019, she was New Zealand Sevens Player of the Year and is the highest point scorer ever for a New Zealander on the Women's World Sevens circuit. She was part of the Blackburn Sevens team that won the silver at the 2016 in Rio de Janeiro. She won a Commonwealth Games gold medal in 2018. 2019, she was nominated for the World Rugby Women's Sevens Player of the Year Award. She has also been selected for the New Zealand Sevens squad for the Tokyo Olympics, which unfortunately, due to COVID-19, has now been postponed until July 2021. And welcome to the Pick Up The Pace podcast, Tyler Nathan Wong. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be on here, having a few yarns with you guys. Thanks, Tyler. Hey, you came from a very sporty family. Your mum, Deanne, was a New Zealand touch rep. Your dad, Russell, was a Māori touch rep. And your grandfather, David Wong, was the first Chinese New Zealander to play for the Auckland Rugby League team. What was it like growing up in the Nathan Wong Fano with such a strong sporting whakapapa? It was pretty competitive, not going to lie. Like, Every weekend was at sports, whether it be my sport. Most of the time, it probably was my sport or my siblings, my um, younger sister or younger brother. Most of the time, it started with going to my younger brother's um, league games. We'd go out, watch him, and then later on the day, whether it be me playing rugby league or uh, soccer at the time or even touch, I had something going on, on the weekend. And found there was many, many trainings during the week as well. I feel sorry for my parents having to run around for all three kids that were involved in sport. Yeah, let's just let's talk a little bit more about your parents. Uh, so your parents, obviously, they must have sacrificed a lot to support both you and your siblings growing up. How much did that mean to you? I don't think I appreciated it until I really got older. I guess that's something that we all, you know, end up appreciating just as we get older. We actually start to understand more so, I guess, the financial side of sport. Because um, before I made the uh, Black Sun 17, you know, we we're having, especially when it came to touch, you're having to pay and fundraise and do everything you could just to go away and respect the country. Some of those uh, trips I went on to the World Cup um, and all that kind of stuff, it wasn't cheap at all. And so my parents, but my siblings also, you know, they had to take a back foot in some of their stuff that they wanted to do just so that I was able to uh, go on these incredible opportunities sporting-wise to represent my country or our country. So it means a lot. It means everything. I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for my whole entire family made, really. So we've talked about your parents, but you also have a very close relationship with your grandfather, David, who was a successful sports person. How has his unconditional love and support helped you? He, yeah, he's, he claims that he's my number one supporter. Like, he'll, he'll step in front of my mum and be like, nah, I'm number one. <laughs> he says he's everything from my number one supporter, my cook, he'll, he'll claim that he'll be like, when I go home, um, obviously, Younger, used to live with my parents, don't live with them now. But every time I go home, he'll be like, do you want breakfast? Do you want this? Do you want that? Yeah, he just, he tries to help out wherever he can. He's definitely not getting younger. Um, 
LT, uh, but he's yeah, he's amazing. He and my dad helped me learn the basic skills that I have um, and that I ended up developing over the years, um, especially when it comes to um, the catch and pass side of things. Those two were the main contributors to that skill set of mine, and yeah, I'm grateful for those long hours that I spent with them outside, you know, training, even though sometimes I may not have wanted to, and just you know, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, definitely massive, massive supporters. And I just remember when I was younger watching him play like in the Masters um, rugby league competition. Um, I was on the sideline with my siblings and my cousins would all go down and watch um, my grandfather play league, and it was pretty incredible. And then when I was about, I think it must have been two or three years ago, he pulled on, on the rugby boots again. I, he, I actually gave him a pair of my boots because uh, he hadn't played for many, many years and he was in the gold shorts. So when you're playing gold shorts in uh, the Masters of Rugby League, the only way you get tackled is by pretty much touching them and for them to make a tackle, they touch someone. So he would have been in his late 70s, mid to late 70s when he was back on the field. So it was pretty inspiring just to see him at that age back out on that rugby field playing with these you know, some of them are a lot younger than him, 20 years younger at times. It's pretty cool, this drive that he still has to, you know, go out there and play something in sport that he loves. Hey, you're, uh, we, you mentioned your siblings before. So your sister, she, and brother, David, are also very sporty, and they've played touch for the Auckland rep side as well. They've publicly said that you have been an inspirational big sister. What type of role model do you aspire to be to your siblings and others around you? Um, just someone that, you know, I guess never gives up. Um, especially when it's time to hard or where things may not be going away or there can be robots, whether it be injury or just selection-wise, if we're talking about sports. But, was, yeah, for me, it was just about showing them that anything's possible. Um, when I was growing up younger, I definitely did not make teams because coaches thought I was either too small or you know, not big enough for something. And for me, yeah, that could have been something that stopped me from doing my goals, but I used that as, that, you know, just that negative change into a positive and used as motivation. So for me, for my siblings, I just wanted to show them that, you know, anything's possible if you put your mind to it and you're willing to work hard for it because it doesn't come easy. And where I am today definitely wasn't an easy road to get there. And so for anyone, especially my siblings, wanted to show them that. Probably one of the main there. You have Māori and Chinese heritage. Some of the yes. important values and customs on these cultures that you carry with you today. Oh gosh, yeah, it's a bit of a, I'm a bit of a mix actually, yeah, obviously being Chinese and Māori. Um, so my Chinese side, we obviously follow like the the Chinese New Year and all that kind of stuff, which is pretty close to me and everything. And we're part of, um, my family's a part of uh, what's called the Kuang Chu Club. Um, so it's my great, great, my great grandfather, he was a founding member. And it's made up of all the descendants, um, there's about seven of them that founded this club and it's the descendants of those families that come together throughout the year and celebrate Chinese New Year, Christmas, um, all the kind of the special um, times on the Chinese calendar pretty much we all come together and it's pretty awesome to see all the different generations together and those are all members, um, the seven founding members are from my village back in China that um, immigrated here to New Zealand. So it's pretty special. Um, and then on my Māori side, it's actually maybe a year ago, actually, I think for the first time in a, since I was probably under five that we actually came back up to up north, back to our family, um, Marae, my sister and my dad. Um, my dad, unfortunately, you know, doesn't have that strong connection to his Māori heritage. So 
growing up, we didn't actually have have much of that, and that's something that you know I've been looking into as I've gotten older to really understand where I come from and where that side of my family comes from. And so to be able to you know obviously go back to our family that I and, and see where we're from and all that kind of stuff was pretty special, and it's something I want to get into more. Um, I know bits and pieces when it comes to the language. Um, both Chinese and Māori, but something that I want to dive into more, especially probably after my, my main studies are finished. Um, at the moment, still studying towards my Bachelor's of Sporting Exercise Science. I've been doing that for a very long time. I've obviously been a part-time student, and so I think once that's over, I think my main goal will be looking into more of my culture, um, my heritage, and the language on both sides. Cool. Hey, um, when we were reading up about you, we read that your family motto is deeds, not words. What does yes. this mean to you, Tyler? It's similar to, I guess, the saying, like, actions speak louder than words. So for me, you know, you can talk as much as you want. You can say you're going to do something, but if you don't follow up with the actions, it's almost hollow. It's, you know, it's, it's pointless type thing. So instead of saying something, I just want to lead through my actions. And then I guess that's kind of what also I wanted to do for my siblings growing up and whenever I'm in a sporting team, just really go out there and show, show to people and lead through my actions, lead through my deeds of what it is to be where I am and how I got to where I am today. And, you know, every time I go on that field, I leave it all out on the field and give it my all. And it doesn't matter, like even my study, you know, all that kind of stuff. Everywhere in life is that motto kind of follows me and my family. At a very young age, your first sport was rugby league, and you played yes. for Ulin Stags and Ponsonby. Um, your first That's rugby one. game was in a tournament at Blockhouse Bay Primary School, but by all accounts, you were the only girl on the team, and you played in bare feet. What was it like being the only girl in the team? It was, it was not too bad, actually. Like, obviously, girls playing rugby um, or even league back then, it wasn't really common at all. And so... I grew up with a whole lot of boy cousins, so I was almost the only girl for a long time. So I didn't see it as anything new. I was like, sweet as I get to go out there. Like when I played league, I was playing with one of my cousins and my dad and uncle were coaching. It was just, yeah, it was ordinary for me as, a, you know, what I was used to. Um, but I guess to other people, that probably wasn't as a, a common trend going around. So being the only girl, you obviously had a few looks here or there and all that kind of stuff. And I think, got to intermediate at one point, um, trial for the league team, but then by the end of it, they said that I wasn't even allowed to play because obviously it's a boys-only team. So I was, like, I was pretty gutted when that came to it. But, you know, you just got to keep going and pushing no matter what gets put in your way, really. So after that, you then attended Blockhouse Bay Intermediate School and Linfield College. So during those years, you played multiple sports. But the one thing you've stated you liked the most was Taekwondo. Uh, so you won a national title there as a 13-year-old. Is this where you got your confidence and self-belief from? It's a pretty incredible, like I, I love Taekwondo. I still wish I could do it to this day just because the thrill and the discipline and everything I got from that sport, like all, most majority of the sports I've played growing up have been team sports except for uh, swimming and tennis, I think it was, um, when I was quite like uh, quite younger. But yeah, so everything else was team sports. So I was used to that team environment. But then going back to an individual sport at like 13, um, around that age, 
you learn that yes you have to them it's only you you don't have anyone else to rely on at all it's you you're the only one in out there on that floor competing whether it be doing your 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 patterns to grade to the next bout or whether you're in competition and you're fighting your opponent you know no one else is out there going to help you it's 100 only you so yeah definitely learnt uh learnt discipline because obviously any martial art you learn discipline when it comes to that and it definitely helped my flexibility and being able to kick you know and i think that then translated it also into my rugby as well just being able to um generate power you know from a small standing position and being able to come through with a kick so i think that definitely helped my goal kicking and conversion kicking as well uh restarts too so yeah i think that sport oh yeah i still wish i could get out there sometimes i just look back at some of the um fights that i had and just the excitement and like it's, it's just something completely different to anything i've done before you know it's you and this opponent going head to head kicking each other in the body and the head just you know to get points it's, it's such a thrill <laughs> not for everyone but it was pretty exciting and i loved it and it was because of my cousins yet again that i actually ended up jumping in and doing a sport and when i started it i loved it so much that i was going to fully commit and that was one of the ways that I was, because as a kid, I've always dreamed of going to the Olympics. And that was my first real proper opportunity to actually potentially make it. And that was obviously before Rugby Sevens got announced and before I took that pathway. So Sophia Hamid, your year 10 dean at Linfield College, described you as one of the most exceptionally gifted all-round athletes the school has had. She is a talented, committed, and visionary young woman. Former All Black Fern, but Nia Wolfgram was also the sports coordinator at the time. How did Linfield College support and develop your all-round sporting and academic abilities? They were, it was a pretty awesome school to be part of. Firstly, I think with Vanya, if it wasn't for her, I may not have actually picked up rugby again. Um, she was the one, I was playing all different kinds of sports at Linfield College, but she was the one that said, you know, come down and give um, rugby a go. Um, we've got a tennis side team. You know, I think you'd be really good. Um, just come give it a go. Played it for one year. And then the year after that, we didn't have a team. There wasn't enough numbers because rugby for girls wasn't, you know, popular back then. And then since that finished, like, there was nothing else for me. And then she invited me to um, go to Marist um, Rugby Club to play for them. And if it wasn't for her encouragement, her support behind me and getting me to come down to Marist. I don't know if my rugby career would have kicked off and I, I could have been, I could have stayed in Taekwondo or just continued playing touch. So definitely credit her and thank her so much. I've said this to her many times and in like many different interviews I have done, if it wasn't for her, I yeah don't know if I would have um, picked up the sport of rugby again. And then um, just the teachers there too. I remember in year 12, I really just started, uh, I was, it was quite, I think 2011, I had gone to the Touch World Cup. 2012, I was still playing touch. Um, yeah, still playing touch and kind of just starting into the um, sevens. And so I really, it was really tough. Like we had heaps of camps. We were going on tour for different things. And so I was missing a lot of school. And so if it wasn't for one of my, especially my physics teacher, Mr. Bozeman, like, if it wasn't for him, I would not have passed physics that year. Like, just the, his incredible support behind me and just keeping me updated when I was away and when I came back, just being, like, 
helping me catch up on things I miss and breaking it down and just making it really simple. I think teachers, they have such a profound impact on students and you know, if they really show that support and encourage students, it can have a massive impact on their lives. Like, I still talk about him, uh, my physics teacher, in different school talks I go to because that's how much his influence impacted me and allowed me to pass my credits back then. If it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have been able to go into, you know, level three or anything like that. So I think that, yeah, definitely those two people mainly are the ones that I can really truly remember from back in my school days. So you mentioned briefly there that you played a lot of touch footy in your time, eh? And you represented yes. New Zealand, of course. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit of, like, just a few of the highlights from your touch career? Yeah, well, touch definitely was my main sport for a long period of time. I started at a very young age. Um, me and my one of my teammates actually threw the Fitzpatrick. You know, we've known each other since I think we're maybe nine, ten. And so, because we played touch with each other back then, and then it's pretty crazy to see now that we're both back in the same team again, um, this time representing our country in sevens. But yeah, touch, if it wasn't for touch, I wouldn't have the skills that I have today for rugby sevens. You know, ability to catch and pass, the vision and decision making around manipulating the defense when on attack, um, the ability to read different um, when on defense ability to read the attack and what they're doing and what kind of plays or shifts of their body that they're going to make whether they're going to step whether they're going to cut all that kind of stuff definitely helped and made the transition to rugby seven a lot easier the only thing that I really had to practice a lot and I still practice to this day is obviously the contact area the tackle um, the breakdown obviously, yeah that was a bit new to me especially when I first started um, in the 15 aside game um, so I was grateful that I started in 15s before I went to 7s just so I learned the contact side of it all but that was probably the biggest challenge and still is obviously being a, slight, a lot smaller um, rugby player compared to some of these uh, some of my teammates and some of the um, athletes and rugby players that I come up uh, against um, on the World Series but yeah touch my most fondest memory was definitely going to that um, the World Cup. I think it was in 2011 in uh, Edinburgh, Scotland. My dad flew over as well as my auntie um, and um, my auntie's partner. Um, he was also playing in the one of the Masters teams. And so it was pretty incredible to have the whole family there watching uh, me play. And that was my real first big international trip, you know, other than Australia, really. Um, going over there it was pretty amazing. I was only 16 just turned 16, I think, at the time. Uh, so playing in the Open Women's team, and we I remember we just lost to Australia in that final. Yet again, you know, Australia ruled the touch scene, eh? <laughs> Definitely. Hey, so in 2012, you made your debut for the Black Fern Sevens team, and you became the youngest ever player at 18 years old. The same year, they introduced the World Seven Series. What do you remember about your first game in the black jersey? Man, I can still, I remember it so vividly. It was such an incredible experience. You know, I'm playing alongside girls that I have looked up to and still look up to this day and they've come, become very, very close friends of mine, the likes of Puriana, Manuel, Linda Atunu, you know, these are pretty legendary players in the women's side of um, rugby. And so to be able to play alongside those girls, I was like, I was just shell shocked for a bit, you know. I was, I was just like, "Wow, I'm playing against, alongside these incredible players." Um, 
And then the first time I got my jersey, it was actually quite funny. These jerseys, so where our jerseys are now is amazing. But where it started, they weren't the greatest, not going to lie. They were like youth, um, boys' youth sizes. So I've got my jersey framed up in my parents' house. It's like, it looks like a little kid's jersey. I'm not going to lie. Like, you, you put your arms up and your jersey would ride halfway up. That's how, like, short they were and small they were. It was, it was pretty ridiculous. But that's, like, one of my prized possessions at my parents' place. It's sitting up um, on one of the walls. And I remember running out my very first time in the jersey, knowing that I've got my family's name on the back but also the number that I got to play in, the number seven. Like, that's my favourite number. That's my family's, like, favourite number. It's the jersey number my grandfather played in. And so it holds a special place in our family. So when I got gifted and presented that number, I was just, like, blown away, first of all. And then pulling it on and running out on that field. Um, my very first um, game was against Tonga, and I was on the bench, and I think we was into the second half. I remember coming on just filled with so much energy, so much excitement. The ball, one of the Tong girls threw it and they fumbled it behind them. I just remember running, like zooming up in the field, running up and like just making a tackle and the rest after that was a blur. But it was such an incredible experience. But every time like I put that jersey on, I almost, it's like that same feeling because you never know when it's going to be your last time. And so every time you pull that jersey on, you cherish it. And you go out there and you give it your all, no matter what. In 2013, you were a part of the team that won the first World Sevens Series in the Sevens World Cup in Russia. And you turned 19 the day after the team had won the World Cup. Can you talk us through that amazing first season you had, Black Jersey? It was, yeah, it was, it was pretty incredible. Like, we went to... Um, Obviously, Fiji first was the very first time the team had been together. And so we went there and we ended up winning that. We beat Australia in the final and that was to qualify for the World Cup. And we hadn't had a team since the 2005. There wasn't a New Zealand the Sevens team since I think the 2009 World Cup where Australia actually um, beat us. And so Australia had been playing, I think, a little bit longer, like had re-established a little bit longer than us. So we were a bit of a, a surprise um, winner there I don't think they were expecting us to come out as we did and then you know leading then into Dubai we won Dubai and then just had a pretty incredible ride all the way through um, and to the Rugby World Cup and I remember just going to that Rugby World Cup and having this feeling of we're not going to lose this like no matter what even if we were in the game and we were down by a trial two I knew that we would be able to come back and win like there was just this incredible feeling that every time we went out and stepped on that field it's hard to explain, like, it was just this, yeah, this feeling that, nah, this is ours. No one's going to take it from us. We're, you know, we're going to take this and we're going to go out there every game and give it our all. And that's what we did. And I remember that final especially, like, it had been beautiful, like, in, in Russia. First of all, who expects to go to Russia to play, to play a rugby World Cup in Russia? Like, you don't expect that, first of all. And then secondly, you know, Beautiful weather. It was about 30, mid-30s, I'd say. Like, it was smoking hot. And so the weather was amazing the entire time we were playing. And then the final, out of nowhere, this crazy weather turned up and it just bucketed down. Like, big, fat droplets of rain. The field turned into, like, swamp. Like, it was just so muddy. 
I remember getting on, I think it was in that second half, started second half, went to do a drop, got a, a restart, went to drop kick it, and the ball just splattered in the ground, and it ended up just being like this ugly grubber across the field. But it was so incredible. Like every moment I remember um, getting, you know, this line out, getting the ball, fumbling on the ground, popping it up to one of my teammates, and then uh, I think it was Kayla ended up, Kayla scored in the corner. Like it was, we played Canada, and yeah, it was pouring down. We, we were used to training in the rain, you know, obviously being from New Zealand where you get four seasons in one day. <laughs> So it was just like we were in our backyard playing some footy with, you know, our sisters and, and going hard. And it was a pretty incredible experience. And when that final, I remember that final moment, the ball got kicked back down the field. I uh, don't know what the Canadian girl was thinking. Really, the time was up. They needed the ball to actually go and score. But she kicked it. I picked the ball up. All my teammates, like the hooter goes, all my teammates are yelling, kick it out. I just get it and I just thump it out of the field. and then just you know, this massive smile because we had won the World Cup. And for some of our girls, they had been there in 2009. So it was, yeah, it was that awesome, sweet taste of, yes, we've finally achieved um, a Rugby Sevens World Cup. Okay, so you've been part of the Black Fern Sevens who have now won five World Seven Series titles in a row. But winning the 2014 Guangzhou Sevens tournament was a highlight for you and your whanau, which you touched on before. Why is Guangzhou so special to you? So that is um, where my family is from in China. So that's where we originate from um, is Guangzhou and obviously one of the villages, um, obviously further out. And so to be like, I've, I've always wanted to go to, um, back to China. Um, so to be able to go back and to play rugby there, it was just this, this special, this special feeling. And then to win on that soil too was pretty amazing. I still haven't had the opportunity yet to go back to where my family's village, but that's something I do have planned um, or want to plan properly in the future, just to really see where my family's gone, because now my entire family um, is based in New Zealand. Um, but yeah, it was a pretty cool moment. And then just to practice, you know, some of my the different words I had learned and just to talk um, and, associate with some of the Chinese girls too from the China team. It was a pretty special moment. So you were part of the team that won a silver medal at the 2016 Rio Olympics. Our recent guests on our show, Steve Hansen and Jamie Joseph, have both said that you learn more from your losses than you do from your wins. So having missed out on the gold medal, what did the team learn from that loss? Yeah, that, that moment, eh, it's, it still lives with you, even to this day, you know, four years later, you you think about it, it takes you right back to that moment, where I think we just fell short, but I think it was seven points, like, it was it was pretty close, but as you, as you said, yeah, you do learn from those losses, especially ones like that, and even, like, it's something that we learned, um, you know, first of all, you can never... You know, you never want to put the game in the rest hands. You want to do everything you can to be able to control the game. And it's about controlling the controllables. You know, you don't arrest the opposition. Even winning itself is uncontrollable. So for us, it's all of, the only thing we can control as rugby players, as athletes, is um, the amount of effort that we put in personally as a team and also individually and how we focus on our performance. And so that's something I think we took into it 
and we've taken with us. And I think one big thing also is the team culture and environment. Like if you don't have that sorted and that's in a solid foundation, you know, it's eventually you will that ends up coming on the field and all that kind of stuff. So having a solid team culture where everyone has buy-in, everyone has input, that's definitely something that changed these last four years. And, you know, from that first four years, these last four years, it's been a pretty, um, you know, uphill growth for us as a team. And it's been pretty amazing. Even um, leading into the Commonwealth Games in 2018, we had two pretty big losses. We lost to uh, USA in the quarterfinals in Dubai. First time we had lost in the quarter in a very long time. And the day before we, you know, we smoked USA. And then the next day we encountered, we lost. And, you know, that was pretty hard for us. We all went our separate ways. So from that, we learned, you know, the best thing is to come together as a team. So really talk about it, not just to go off and be on our own, but to you reunite together as a squad. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's no one individually, individual's fault. You know, you have an entire 40 minutes, if not longer, to go out there and to stand for Mark as a team. Yes, one moment could to make a someone could score a try, but what did you do the the first 13 minutes of the game before that happened, you know? And so that's one thing we learned there. And then we lost, we had a massive loss um, in the Sydney Sevens to Australia. Um, in the final, we got smoked, I think, 30-something there. We didn't even score a try. And one of those ones, is like, the difference, though, between that game and the game against USA, we felt like we lost that game against the USA, whereas the game against Australia, we felt that they were just better than us on the day. So it's that difference, knowing the difference um, between those two losses, but then knowing that, you know, okay, we've got to go back and have a look at our game plan and different things and all that kind of stuff. So I think the biggest thing is, after any loss, you know, just, is just coming together as that team not from letting it fracture you and not letting it um, build up resent or anything like that. It's just coming together as a team and knowing that, you know, it's only one moment, but that one moment can help you and lead you to, you know, future wins. And that's what it did. We ended up performing really, really well and winning in 2018. And if it wasn't for those two losses, I don't know if we would have gone back and looked at our game plan. And if it wasn't, um, or even just how we were interacting as a team post the loss because we hadn't, you know, we don't really, you know, it's pretty grateful to be part of this team. We don't lose that much. So that was pretty special. And I think we continue to, you know, learn from those moments and go back and revisit those moments to see if we can pick up anything else that we can then put into where we are today. So in 2018, um, you had, a, after the disappointing Rio Olympics result, so you won the Commonwealth Games gold medal and another Sevens Worlds Cup, sorry, which you just mentioned. Why do you think that 2018 team was so successful? Gosh, uh, I think, yeah, I think like I said, like we had such an incredible team culture and we still do to this day. And that's, um, that was when our head coach, Alan Bunting, took over after the Rio 2016 Olympics. That was his one thing that he really wanted to instill this team was that culture and that buy-in from everyone and that, that input like you know no one is higher or better than anyone no one's lower you know we're all on this even playing field everyone is open to feedback you know coaches players um, player to player player to coach everyone is equal and has input 
and really just creating this buy-in where, you know, we're working for each other. You go out there and I'm going to give it my all, not just for myself. You know, I'm doing this because I want to go out there and give it my all for you, for this, you know, for my teammates on my left, for my teammates on my right. And yeah, he really created this amazing environment where everyone could be their self, you know. No player in our team is the same. Everyone is completely unique and completely different. And we didn't want to create this thing where we all had to be, you know, the same as someone else, you know. Because at the end of the day, no, you know, you are you and you're in this team for a reason and you've been picked for this reason. You're not like this person, you know. So all our, you know, all our wingers are different. They have all different attributes. All our halfbacks, you know, we're all completely different as well. And it's it's very cool. Like no one's the same. And so I think that's really what he he instilled in us is just to be you, be unique, bring your Kaiha, whatever, you know, bring your strengths to this team, because that's why you've been selected and give it your all no matter what and work hard. And that's something that uh we've continued on throughout these years and I think that's definitely one thing that helped us. Like going back to that twenty, I think 2018 Commonwealth Games and then the 2019, was it 20? I'm getting confused with the dates now, but the Commonwealth Games and the World Cup, again, those two moments, just like the 2013 Rugby World Cup, I had the exact same feeling that we were not going to lose this. This was our tournament, you know. Like this, The only way we would lose this was by unperforming ourselves. Like No team was going to take it from us. And yeah, I had those same exact feelings. So if I can have those feelings again in a year's time at, in, in 2021 at Tokyo, uh, that'd be pretty amazing. <laughs> so in 2015 and 2019, you won the New Zealand Sevens Player of the Year Award. You've captained the Blackburn Sevens and you're commonly known on the field as the boss. What sort <laughs> of leader, what sort of leader would, you, uh, would your team say that you are? Um, so I'm the type of leader, like, I will only, I guess, I like to, I guess, lead through my actions, um, you know, obviously that going back to that model, deeds, not words, lead through my actions on the field, in trainings, like, you know, making sure I'm out there doing my all, whether it be in fitness, you know, making sure I'm pushing myself to the limit so that these girls can see, you know, how hard I'm pushing so that inspires them to push just as hard. Um, but then also the type of leader that I guess when there's something important, I'll say it, you know, I'm not always going to talk up every single huddle or every single moment, you know, because there's a, we've got a good bunch of leaders in this team. You know, we've got our captain, Sarah Hidenia, but then also we've got a leadership group as well that I fall in being my captain with the likes of Ruby Tui, Nara Williams, Portia Woodman, um, Theresa Fitzpatrick, uh, who else is there? Kelly Brazier, you know. So we've got a, a pretty credible leadership group and we are all different as well. So we all have our different parts to play on the field and off the field. And I contribute uh, where I feel like it's important and something needs to be said, um, especially when it comes to the attack side, which is what me and Kelly mainly look after as well. So, yeah, it's probably better than asking my teammates that, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, so looking back at your uh, Black Dream Sevens career, can you name a couple of players or coaches that have really inspired you to become the player that you are today? Definitely, um, I'll see our, our coach, Alan Bunting. You know, he's been there since the very beginning of my 
Black Spoon Seven's career, and to be able to go through this process with him, you know, it's it's pretty amazing. And he's he's such an incredible guy. He um, we call him the heart of the team, and he's the one that you know that that does draw at your heartstrings, gets you emotionally invested and emotionally hyped to the point where you can go out and perform well. You don't like not over overly emotional where that sometimes can be a hindrance when you go out because then you're just flying or uh, playing on too much emotion and you can make mistakes but the the right amount you know and he's yeah just to be able to go through this program from start to finish with him is uh is pretty special you know he's seen me grow up in this program I was you know this young 16 17 year old that started now you know 25 10 and 26 this year so being able to develop and grow into the person I am today, um, I have to contribute part of that to, to him as well. Um, and then in regards to players, you know, uh, one of them would be uh, Kuriana. Um, she was our captain for the first, I think it was four or so years in the program. She's known me since I was 14 years old. Um, I've played, I played uh, at Marist with her. Um, and she was one of the ones that I, I've looked up to pretty much my entire playing career, really. Uh, just the type of work ethic. She's the same type of play, like the player that just goes out and leads through her actions. You know, she'll, she'll, you know, looks pretty and everything and off the field and then goes out and does all the hard work and smashes these players, turns the ball over and everything. And then just what she is doing now um, through her, uh, with her husband and their young son, um, they run a F45, um, F45 Piatsu, and just to see, you know, her still pursuing her dreams and everything off the field, it's pretty inspiring as well. We've seen an unprecedented growth rate in women's rugby, both here and around the world. What else do you think needs to be done to keep interest and participation strong for the women's game moving forward? Yeah, the women's game is exploding. I think one of one of them would have definitely been since the twenty sixteen Olympics. You know, when our our games were broadcasted to the world. I remember um, there were celebrities chiming in, um, just commenting about how epic women's rugby was. You know, to see the women playing the same sport as the men, doing the exact same thing, the exact same minutes, smashing each other, running around each other, all this agility, the skill, and everything. So. I think just getting the game out um, and televised and continuing to broadcast it to the world because, you know, you see it and then you can believe it and you want to then do it. And that's, I think, you know, for these young ones, if they can see these incredible female rugby players and athletes, you know, out on the field, but then if they, they can meet them in everyday life too and see that they're just a normal person as well, it's just, yeah, that, that human side of it all, I think, is um, important is just as much as the rugby side um but yeah just being able to get it broadcasted and televised that's definitely taken a massive step up like our games now are finally all on sky tv whereas previous years you know our families were trying everything they could to try and find an online streaming site just to be able to watch our games um but now to have sky you know support um the women's game especially is pretty amazing here in new zealand Hey, your partner Tupuria King is a personal trainer yes. <laughs> and a Waka Armour champion. Uh, you both live very, very busy lives. So with all the training, travel and stress, and how do you two manage it all? I'm not going to lie. It's pretty good being in lockdown at the moment because 
uh, we would definitely not have spent this much time with each other at all. I think we were talking about it um, a few days or maybe last week that if we were, you know, in normal life and none of this craziness had um, gone on, I maybe would have seen him a max five days this last month, I think it would have been. Because um, as soon as I... I would have headed off to Hong Kong Sevens. I would have been there for at least two weeks. Um, I would have came back um, for, I think, a week, but I would have been based down in Tauranga, whereas he's based in Auckland. And then I would have been off again for the Canada Sevens. So it's pretty, yeah. And then he would have been off as himself um, for one of his big races in season coming up as well. So, yeah, we would have had minimal time with each other. So pretty grateful. Obviously, not happy with the whole pandemic and everything like that that's just you know it's just crazy what's going on in the world at the moment um but at the same time you know silver lining and positive side of all i get to spend some quality time with him um that i would not have gotten if this had if we didn't go into lockdown uh, lockdown and spend time with him and his family also hey we stumbled across an old article from when you were 15 years old and you said this i want to go as high as i can go I want to go as high as I can go. I am competitive, but it is a lot of fun, and I like meeting lots of people. So what else does 25-year-old Tyler Nathan Wong want to achieve on and off the field? Gosh, 15-year-old self. <laughs> I'm pretty much, I pretty much feel those exact, that exact same way, though, really. like I still want to continue... Um, in the, the sport of rugby sevens, it's amazing. I get to travel the world with some amazing people, you know, lifelong friends, sisters, as we say, um, and play a sport I love and, you know, get to do this day in, day out. Like, it's not easy at all. It's definitely tough. Um, and, you know, you definitely have to sacrifice a lot. It's, you know, a lot of time with family and you don't get to go to these special and important um, moments with them, whether it be families, weddings, anniversaries, all that kind of stuff. Even at times, you know, when some, a loved one does pass away, you don't, you can't, or, you know, you can't make it back in time for, to, you know, to celebrate their life. Um, so it is, it's tough. It's, you know, there's so much um, that you do sacrifice, but it's, rewarding all of the same and if I can continue where I am continue you know pursuing this dream continue as long as like what I've said is I will continue the sport as long as I love it um, and as long as my body allows me to until one of those you know stops or happens that's when I will you know hang up the boots but at the moment I'm still loving it the body's still still there still going um, but post rugby, you know, I've, I've still also rugby. It's only one part of my life. I've got, um, you know, other aspirations as well and, and study and everything like that. So I've been studying part time since I um, left high school because I actually made the team in my last year of high school. Um, so I couldn't go full time at all. Um, originally wanted to go into medicine, but that was definitely not an option. <laughs> Being you have to be full time in that, and so it kind of went down the list of things that I was able to do um, to continue my study. And a Bachelor of Sport and Exercise Science was one of those, and so I've been ticking away slowly. And the light is finally at the end of the tunnel. I've got um, 
I'm enrolled in two papers this year and then I have two uh, that I can finish uh, next year, hopefully. And then I'll be done and hopefully be able to graduate, making sure obviously I pass all my papers. <laughs> but I'm loving it. It gives me something to do off the field. Um, I've also got my uh, rugby coaching levels too, my level two. Finished that uh, mid, oh, sorry, finished that at the end of last year, I think it was. Um, so then I'll also look at continue, continuing in that field to get my level three and so on. And, you know, for me, it's just about, one of my main things is just about giving back and I guess inspiring the next generation to do so as well, whether it be through sport, um, academics, or just the love, or whatever they love doing really. And through my different, obviously, connections and my different cultures. Hey Tyler, it's been an awesome podcast. I don't even know. I don't even know if that answered your question. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> just went on a ramble again. <laughs> hey um, Tyler, thanks heaps for that. Uh, I think Magic's having some uh, audio issues, but he's sorting that out. Hey, we do this thing with guests every time at the end of our show. It's called the Pick Up the Pace Challenge. Uh, it's okay. one topic. We give you one topic and you have to uh, provide us with nine answers. So for example, we would say, uh, Tyler, please give us, um, you have uh, 10 seconds to give us nine different colors, okay? So we'll give you a topic. Okay. You have to think fast on your feet, all right? So Magic, uh -oh. are you in? Yep. Magic, are you in? All right, yep. we'll, we'll let Magic ask the question. So you're gonna do the ticker, eh? Yep, oh, you, do the, do, you do the timing. You do the timing. Okay, yep. so I'm the, I'm the countdown guy. So when you hear my, my fake buzzer, that's when time's up. You've got to get nine. As long as you get nine, all right? Nine. Okay. Holy heck. It's easy. You'll, you'll nail it. Yeah. So you oh. say. <laughs> all right. Here we go. Tyler Nathan Wong from Auckland, New Zealand. Name for me nine different type of ball sports. Go. Rugby, soccer, NFL, basketball, um, netball, cricket, table tennis. Ping pong uh, oh. <laughs> what do we have? I can't, I I can't, eight. Yeah, I counted eight. Oh, I counted eight. <laughs> oh eight. Well, go. Go. We've only had a couple go. of people who have uh, taken it out. Oh, hey, magic. Yeah, we've only had a couple, but um, it's, so it's quite weird. Because you think you've got plenty of time, eh? But um, to, name, to name nine in 10 seconds, it is very hard. Yeah, then you fr <laughs> freeze. You're like, oh my God, did I say that already? <laughs> you did well though, you did well. Hey Tyler, thank you Thanks, for uh, joining us on the Pick Up The Pace podcast to share your inspirational story. We're very excited to see what other achievements you will add to your impressive career to date. E mihi nui mō I would like to finish with this Māori proverb o whakatauki, kia hora te marino, kia whakapapa paunamu te moana, kia tere te kārohirohi, i moa i tōuarahi. May the calm be widespread, may the ocean Listen as greenstone, may the shimmer of light dance across your pathway. Ya maru tonoho, atewa, and take care.